Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we will stop in Philadelphia to chat to Keith Pompey of Locked On Sixers to talk about the return of Markel Fultz and the Joel Embiid injury. We'll go to Miami to speak with Wes Goldberg of Locked On Heat to talk about Hassan Whiteside's interesting quote over the weekend. And lastly, we'll go to Milwaukee to talk to Eric Name of Locked On Bucks to speak about Jabari Parker, the return of Malcolm Brogdon, the coaching change and how that all plays out for the NBA playoffs. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, this is Locked On NBA and my name is Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, a fantasy basketball show that goes five days a week. And I'm your host for the Monday edition of Locked On NBA. We are getting ever so close to the NBA playoffs, just uh, 10 days left of the regular season before that first round kicks off. So many question marks, so many unknowns, seedings, injuries, all those things. We're going to uh, have a quick look at a, at a few teams across the uh, the NBA today. So let's get stuck straight into that. I'm joined now once again by the host of the Locked on Sixers podcast, Keith Pompey. Keith, we've got you back on again because since we last spoke uh, last week, a few things have uh, transpired in Philadelphia. Number one of those is, of course, the orbital fracture that Joel Embiid has suffered, which is likely to keep him out for the rest of the regular season. But what's it looking like in terms of time frame and returning for the playoffs? I mean, that right now, this well, right now the Sixers are saying um, they don't they don't have a timetable for his return, which basically means um, we don't want to announce something just in case. You know, he comes back longer than expected. So I will say that the timetable that everyone else has been reporting has been, including myself, has been two to four weeks. And, you know, right now, the thing about the two weeks is based on how can he, how does he deal with the pain threshold? And four weeks is like kind of sort of worse case scenario at this particular time. So two weeks would put him, you know, back returning maybe game two, game three of the first round of the playoffs. If he isn't able to get back for that first round, with what we've seen from the Sixers in these last couple of uh, performances without Embiid, how do you think they're going to fare going up against a Milwaukee or or a Miami in that first round series, depending on how the seedings match up, if Embiid is out? You know, you know the, the thing about it is like a Milwaukee, I can see, you know, they should do okay against a Milwaukee. Um, against a Miami, I think they'll struggle against Miami and another team that to think about, like right now, they're the fourth seed and, and, uh, Indiana, the Indian Pacers are the fifth seed. And I think they would struggle against them. You know, teams that have quality big men, you know, are, are going to be able to get the best of, of the Sixers unless Joel Embiid comes back. Well, in today's game, we're recording this after Sunday's action, we saw Amir Johnson play 30 minutes. Rashawn Holmes didn't see the court that much, and we had Ersan Ilyasova starting there in place of Dario Saric. But in the previous game, Ilyasova was the one who really stepped up in, in Embiid's absence. How do we see 
this front court pairing of Johnson and Holmes going, can they hold up or at least, you know, get close to, you know, making a, a neutral matchup against someone? Perhaps it's Marcin Gortat. Perhaps it's Miles Turner. Perhaps it's Hassan Whiteside. Can they at least draw it to a, a, a close sort of neutral, uh, matchup and allow these other players like Simmons and Sharich to, to take over and, uh, exceed, you know, their production we've, that we've seen from them throughout the rest of the season? See, on the offensive end, uh, you can say they'll help things out, you know, but on a defensive end, I don't think they can match up against a Miles Turner. I don't think that they can match up against a white side, you know, and, and the reason being is that these guys are, you know, they're, they're going to draw basically double teams. And what that's going to do is it's going to open stuff up in the perimeter for, for their teammates. You know, when you think of a Miles Turner type of guy, he, of all the players in the NBA, can, he consistently plays, um, the most competitive against Embiid. So they typically neutralize each other. But then if you, if you don't have an Embiid neutralizing him and you draw extra attention to him, then all of a sudden that's opening up things for Victor Oladipo, who's already going to be a problem for them. So, that's the problem. Now, when you look at, um, Amir Johnson, like you said, you know, he played 30 minutes and 32 seconds on Sunday. And what he did is he opened up a lot of stuff with his picks for Marco Bellinelli, for JJ Reddick, for Robert Covington. And the thing about Rashawn Holmes, he's a great guy getting to the basket, whereas the Sixers like Amir, now he, he's not, he, he won't score as many points. You know, he, he won't have the highlights, but the thing that he does do is he sets picks to free up his teammates. What, what about the, um, moving on from Embiid now? So we've, we've seen a little bit of that and the Sixers are, are playing obviously well in the regular season, but we spoke last week, Keith, about whether Markel Fultz would return at all this season. I think a day after the podcast recorded, he was a surprise return. What have we made of, of what we've seen from him? He is playing exclusively at point guard. I don't think he's had a single second with Ben Simmons on the court in this, uh, in this return. Yeah. Shifting TJ McConnell across. And that was part of the, part of the appeal, I guess, is he could play some off ball next to Simmons because the shot is still not uh, not there. Can he be a uh, a contributor in the playoffs from what you've seen, and, and how does he look as opposed to what we've seen you know, through scouting tape from back at Washington? Um, you know, he, he he looks okay. I mean, he looks good. I mean, the thing about Markel Folks, you know, when a guy misses sixty eight consecutive games, and a guy you know shot was as bad as it was. You know, when you look at them, you have to like grade them on a scale, so to speak. You know, and, and I will say like he has pro- progressed a lot from his first game. I mean, his first game, I believe he shot five for, for 14. Yep. Um, he, he missed, he, 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 he shot an air ball and he had his shot blocked four times going to the rim. Right. And he also missed the dunk on another time. So right there, that's six shots. That, you know, it was just bad. Um, whereas, you know, the, um, you know, the, the last couple games, like this game he shot in Sunday game, he shot two for five. You know, he had four assists. You know, he had a turnover. He had a, um, a, a, a still. Um, now the thing about the turnover, that's just his second turnover in the four games. So, you know, when you think about it, you know, he's playing well. He's getting his feet wet. He's running the second unit. And at this particular time, 
you know, with with his shot outside shot being kind of shaky, and whereas Ben Simmons doesn't really like to show shoot the ball from the outside, you know, it, it's kind of like although they're two up great up and coming point guards are projected to be two great up and coming point guards playing them together is not giving you a good look because neither one of them is going to launch the ball from three at this particular time. So it's best in the Sixers eye to have Markel running the second unit. And for people who think that, you know, Markel is not going to produce there, he is because a lot of times they bring JJ Reddick back in to go with him, Robert Covington, Ersan Ilovasova, and before Embiid got hurt, Embiid will come in. So he he's actually the backup point guard, but he's playing with the first unit. I think everyone is you know, happy to see Fultz out there and yeah, looking looking solid. The shot's still a long way away, but his his bounce is there, his explosiveness is there, you know, the the chase down blocks, we've seen a couple of those already. He's getting up for big dunks and it and it's huge to see him actually out there and contributing and looking like, like that guy who can create the space and create that explosion. So that's awesome. We're going to be excited to see how it all goes um, for Fultz through the rest of the season for this Sixers team and with Ben Simmons pushing towards the playoffs. And hopefully we get Joel Embiid back closer to the two-week portion of that two- to four-week timeline. Keith, everyone can go and hear you over on Locked On Sixers talk about how this all progresses over the coming weeks. Thanks for coming back on Locked On NBA to, uh, to chat Sixers. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Heat podcast and the host of the Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, Wes Goldberg. Wes, before we get started, I'm just going to read out to you a quote uh, from the weekend. It's annoying. We shouldn't. Why are we matching up? We've got one of the best centers in the league. Why are we matching up? A lot of teams don't have a good center. They're going to use their strengths. It's bullshit. It's really bullshit, man. There are a lot of teams that can use a center, and that's one of them. That's bullshit. Hassan Whiteside. Um, what, what does this mean for the team? This going into the playoffs, this, I guess, unrest, this uh, potential disharmony, is it a big deal? How do you see this Whiteside outburst after the game across the weekend? Well, I mean, this has been something that's been brewing all season long for Miami. Uh, Whiteside hasn't been happy with his minutes um, pretty much all season long. He's averaging a little bit less than 26 minutes per game, and when you compare that to last year, that's four to five minutes uh, fewer than he was playing last season. And and we're seeing this trend across the league that clearly Whiteside does not agree with. Uh, Whiteside also not a fan of small ball um, for obvious reasons. But this is a trend that's been going on across the league. Centers, seven-footers like Whiteside, just traditional rim protectors and post players, are playing less. And that's just the way the NBA is going. And Whiteside doesn't agree with that. He thinks that he is a, a matchup advantage. And in some cases, he has been. But uh, Miami, more oftentimes than not, uh, the uh, Eric Spolstra has chosen to match up at the end, go small with more mobile uh, guys at the five, whether it be Kelly Olenek or Bam Adebayo. Or in the case of this Nets game, he played James Johnson and Justice Winslow together in the front court, uh, going a little bit extra small there um, towards the end in, in the fourth quarter and in overtime. And again, this has just been a trend all season, and it's been brewing for quite a while. White, this isn't the first time Whiteside's commented about not being happy with the minutes, but this is the first time he's commented this directly about um, uh, his frustration with the team and just his his own questioning about whether or not he wants to be there long term. That that has never been an issue. 
Um, Whiteside's bit his tongue in several occasions as well. But look, this is not for people who cover the team and people who are close to the team. It's not all that surprising, to be honest. I think the the reporters who asked him the question knew that he was going to be frustrated. That's why they asked him and baited him a little bit to get that. And boy, did they get one hell of a quote. I don't think that it's, uh, it doesn't surprise me. It's been fairly obvious to me that it's been brewing in this sense as well. But it is, it is a weird thing to, to I guess come out at this point, especially for, for national people who aren't as uh, in tune with what's been happening in Miami. But there are reasons for it, as you talked about with small ball, but the team has been better six, six points per 100 possessions better off with Whiteside on the bench this season. And of course, all these numbers have flaws. But when you look at a team with the team when they're playing a Linux at center, yeah, they're a plus 9.6. Like that, that's, that's a really big difference. Yeah, Bam Adebayo, uh, in terms of when he's on the court, the team's a negative two, Whiteside's a negative 2.8. So even Adebayo as a rookie is providing him fairly similar value. And we talk about Whiteside being this premier, uh, rim protector. His block rate is almost half of what it was back in the, uh, the Halcyon days of 2014, 15, 15, 16, where he was over 9%. This year, he's right at 5%. So we're talking about a, a big dip in the amount of blocks that he's actually blocking. He's had, I'd say his defense has improved, but it's, it's not still, it's not elite. It's not Rudy Gobert level. Um, and, and offense has, it has a lot to work on. So in terms of how you see it, do you see that? Whiteside should be playing more minutes, or do you think that the amount that Spolstra is using it, plus all these other options he's got, like you mentioned, Johnson, Olenek, and Adebayo, the way that Spolstra is utilizing that, is that the ideal way for this team moving forward? Absolutely. Look, if Whiteside's going to be in Miami long term, I think you could see even fewer minutes. I mean, like I said, he's playing about 26 minutes per game right now, a little bit less than that. I think the ideal allocation for him would be somewhere between 20 and 25 not uh, not dissimilar to how toronto uses Jonas valanciunas yep. their big money center right and how they they have several options in yaka Pertle and 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 uh siakam and they play obaka a little bit at the five as well and so they have a bunch of guys that they try to mix and match and miami does the same thing with james johnson and bam and olenic uh there's just not enough room for white side to play 29 or 30 minutes a game that's just the fact and and in today's game it makes more sense to play a guy in lower minutes and just try to get more efficiency out of him in those fewer minutes you know more bang for your buck so to speak but look white you're right white side hasn't been the same guy since a couple years ago he's had a number of lower body injuries he's had a couple injuries to his hands too and though all those injuries seem to have taken a toll he's a little bit less athletic than he used to be not as explosive um in his leaping ability obviously the blocks aren't there even though i think he's improved as an overall defender but i i think his best basketball is behind him so when you consider the injury history there when you consider that he's 28 going to be 29 and just the way that centers age right now it makes more sense for him to play less and not more one last thing before we are before we get out of here. It's not really a small thing either. We're talking about the playoffs and the Heat. They're not 100% locked in, but they're locked in to the playoffs. But it's seeding is what's going to be important here. They're currently at the time of recording in the eighth seed. They're equal with the Bucks. The Bucks play later today, so that could obviously change. They're one and a half games behind the Wizards. They're four games behind the Pacers in the five seed, which probably seems an unrealistic expectation, but they could be eighth, they could be seventh, they could be sixth, which means they're in position to play the Raptors, the Celtics, the Cavs, or the Sixers. Out of those four teams, who do you think is a better matchup for the Heat and which team, especially with the injury concerns in Cleveland uh, and with George Hill, with uh, Boston, with Kyrie and, and Marcus Smart, and now Philadelphia with uh, with Joel Embiid? How does the Heat match up there and which which team do you think they've got a better better opportunity to upset in the first round? 
the number of injuries, like you said, and Miami is fortunate that they're mostly healthy going into the postseason. You know, they've lost Deion Waiters for the season, but outside of that, I mean, they've basically replaced Waiters with Dwayne Wade there. Um, you know, I think the 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 one we've been talking about on Locked on Heat a lot as a target is Boston, the Boston Celtics. Without Kyrie Irving, look, that's still a really formidable defense. Um, they're still waiting on Marcus Smart. Of course, Kyrie Irving, we'll see how long he's going to be injured for. Um but without Kyrie, they're going to struggle to score in the postseason. You can't rely on a rookie like Jason Tatum there. And I think Miami has the defense to just shut all those options down, um, where a number of these regular season opponents for Boston still haven't, um, even though Boston has slid off uh, as of late a little bit. But I think the defense is also an issue for Boston. I mean, you look at Al Horford there. He could he could provide a matchup issue for Miami, um, at least defensively. He can kind of play any defensive scheme, and Miami might have a problem. Um, scoring on Boston. Then there's Philadelphia without Joel Embiid. And if, depending on how long he's out, the, the Heat have played the Sixers well. I think they won the last two times they played the Sixers. So they're playing them well. And, you know, as young, as impressive the Sixers have been, they've been young. I still think, I still think that the Kyrie injury is a little bit more iffy than the Joel Embiid injury. So I think the better matchup at this point, surprisingly enough, would be Boston. But it's a toss-up between Boston and Philadelphia. You don't want to play Cleveland. I don't even think that. George Hill, Schmorch Hill. Like, nobody cares. It's, it's LeBron James. It's That's the issue there. So avoid Cleveland if you can. And if you're Miami, look for that. That's, they're, they're trying to get that 7-6 and six seed. Uh, or, or rather, the seventh uh, the seventh seed there where they're tied with Milwaukee for now, for right now. But um, And whether or not it's Boston or Philadelphia that they face um, will be more adv- advantageous than playing LeBron and the Cavaliers. Well, Wes, thank you for coming on and, and talking about the Hassan Whiteside stuff and talking about the uh, the playoffs. For the Miami Heat, of course, you can check out Wes on Locked On Heat and on Locked On NBA on the Tuesday edition of the show. Wes, thanks for coming on and, uh, and breaking all that down. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm now joined by Eric Name, one of the hosts of the Locked On Bucks podcast. We're obviously going to be talking about the Milwaukee Bucks here. Eric, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. So the uh, the Bucks, a team that I guess I guess some people would think they've underachieved a little bit this season. Obviously, a midseason coaching change there. They're currently sitting in the seventh seed, but we're recording this a, a few minutes before they uh, they tip off their Sunday game. The first question I want to talk to you about here, Eric, is how has this team changed since the Jason Kidd firing and Joe Prunty's coming? Is there any discernible difference with what they do uh, in a positive or negative way? I would say largely no. Um, I, I think right after it happened, there was there's probably about a week or so where it looked like the Bucks were going to be a little bit less aggressive defensively. Obviously, they employ a lot of trapping and blitzing on pick and rolls, and uh, the big the big thing that. Bucks fans and obviously us on Lockdown Bucks end up talking about is their overhelp. So on the backside, they really overload uh, the help to the strong side of the floor, and that just leads to a lot of problems. And it looks like for the first week of Joe Prunty's kind of uh, era here in Milwaukee, it looked like they were going to move away from that even if just slightly they were going to move away from that but uh now over the last month it's pretty much reverted back to pretty much everything that they did under jason kidd both offensively and defensively um and uh, it's just uh, i don't i don't want to say it's disappointing because i think that's largely what we expected uh if you if you fire a head coach mid-season and run with his assistants who already ran the offense and defense well you're going to get the same offense and defense so um there, there was a little bump there 
there when they made slight changes and had a bad schedule or excuse me not a bad schedule a bunch of bad teams on their schedule uh but since then it's it's looked pretty much the exact same one th- one player I do want to talk about is Jabari Parker. Now I've I've been positing this when I'm uh, you know, talking about my podcast about the fact that you know, Jabari is playing you know, 22, 24, 25 minutes, but it's not an injury related thing because we saw when Giannis was out that he was playing over thirty minutes per game. So are the Bucks, why are the Bucks keeping him at so few minutes? Is there why is there hesitancy to reintroduce him to the starting lineup and play him the thirty minutes or so? Because again, he was playing these bigger minutes when Antetokounmpo was sidelined with that ankle injury. Is it just that he has not been the same player that we saw last year before the ACL? Is there something else to do to do with that? Uh, I guess change in philosophy. I think it's a little bit tough to try to figure out exactly what's going on uh, just because, well, one, Joe Prunty doesn't really uh, take too well to those questions. Uh, <laughs> normally, normally we're told that, you know, there's a plan and I've been I've asked many times and I'm always told there's a plan and they know what the plan is. So um, I guess that's information I'm not privy to. Um, but they've, they've largely, like you said, kept him in a smaller role. And I guess the one thing that we've kind of noticed on Lockdown Bucks and we've talked about it in the last couple of weeks is that a lot of the times when Jabari comes in in the first half, he's he's very confident. He, he seems to know where he's going. He seems to know where his shots are. And I know I've interviewed after, after games and he said, hey, I know where my spots are and I feel confident about that. And then in the second half of games, he doesn't seem as comfortable and and that may be because he's playing more starters uh for the other team that may be uh because he's playing with more of the starters for the bucks like i i just don't know exactly what that difference is and it, it seemed like a blip at first just like you know random occurrences that okay maybe he's just happening to feel a little bit better in the first half than he is in the second half but in the second half he just really has, has struggled to find a flow in games and some of that could be stamina based i some of it could be he's not comfortable. He's not getting the same shots. He's not feeling the same flow. Like th- there's a million reasons why that could be happening, but it's happening right now. And, and to me, that's the biggest part of them not going to him as much in the second half and keeping him off the benches because I, I don't know if they have the confidence that when he does play a, a full game, he does play a full 30. 32 33 minutes that he's actually going to produce because in the one game that he did get to start when Giannis was out he he looked lost for most of the game uh so I think it's just a matter of them not being totally comfortable with what they're getting out of him and not feeling comfortable knowing what to expect out of him it's not like that uh, fifth starter is is filled with someone who is uh who's putting up huge numbers. We've seen them go back and forth between uh, Tony Snell and Jason Terry Snell starting there tonight. But the guy who was starting before his injury is, is Malcolm Brogdon. Is there any word on when he is coming back? Uh, we've always been told early April. We are recording right now. It is April 1st, which is technically early April. Um, so uh, my guess would be the next week or so, both him and Matthew Delvadova have traveled with the team on this West Coast roadie. Um, so there's there was some talk that maybe they would be ready for the game today. Um, but that 
obviously didn't happen. So maybe it happens at some point this week. But but both him and Delhi were kind of pegged as early April guys. Uh, that was the first road trip they had made with the team. So um, I think they're they're both getting closer. And when you watch them uh, before games, you watch them at the practice facility. They're both starting to do uh, quite a bit more activity and starting to ramp that up a little bit. So I would not be shocked if both those guys get back here in the next week. And the Bucks could really use it because playing Brandon Jennings as your backup Ooh, point guard. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to go well. It's uh, it's it's not, it, it, had, it went well in the first game. Um, after yeah, that, yeah. after that, it hasn't hasn't quite been the uh, the exact same experience, which I'm sure you'd be well aware from uh, from his first go round there in Milwaukee. Uh, I, I would imagine that Jennings is out of the rotation when those guys are back in business. I would hope, <laughs> just, just because uh, th- he's had two two games where you really point to and say he was good. Yep. It was against Memphis and it was against Chicago, yep. <laughs> and both those dudes have guys that I mean, some of them aren't even in the, in the league right now. Like they didn't get second ten days, so um, largely G League uh, guards he was going against in those games. So we'll see um, if he can manage to do that against NBA guards, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. Do you feel comfortable thinking or, or at least selecting the Bucks to have a chance at a first round upset? Ooh, confident is a is a difficult word word there. Uh just because this team is again, I I, I think some people you you'll get a a number of different responses for how talented this team is, but Giannis is undoubtedly one of the 10 best players in the league, possibly top five. Uh, Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, both those guys are top 40 to 50, 60 NBA players somewhere in there. So there's talent on this roster. Um, it's very clear that the the coaching staff isn't going to help out. The schemes aren't going to help out. But that is a bunch of individual talent. And, I mean, you go into a series... Giannis could win you two games by himself. Like we've seen him put up Herculean performances. He could win two games by himself. Maybe Chris Middleton gets hot for a game and hits a bunch of threes. Maybe Eric Bledsoe is able to find a a good game where he's aggressive and attacking and able to get to the rack. He scored 39 against the Lakers the other night. Like those, those things could happen. And in a series, like you just need it to happen in four games and you could get that. So if they get a team like the Celtics who would be down Kyrie Irving, uh, obviously Brad Stevens can, can coach his butt off and coach circles around Joe Prunty. But at the same time, there's just so, there's just so much talent there. You undoubtedly have the best player in the series with Giannis against, I mean, any Eastern conference foe outside of the Cavaliers, like against the Raptors at, DeRozan and Lowry are both great, but Giannis is a better player than both of them. So against, uh, the, against the Raptors, Eric, you also have uh, MB, MVP Thon McCurr in there, who uh, yeah. who, who transforms into uh, modern Hakeem Olajuwon when he plays Toronto. So there's you've got that benefit as well. Yeah, it would it would really help out. So I, I think any of those teams, if you go by the the classic NBA maxim that if you have the best player in the series, you have a you should win the series. Well, they'd have the best player in the series against a bunch of those teams. So um, I think it's real interesting for this Bucks team. Again, I don't have a ton of faith in the schemes that they run offensively or defensively, but the talent that they have in comparison to those teams is either comparable or better. It's going to be very interesting to see this Eastern Conference, if, especially the first round with so many injury concerns right up and down the seedings, positioning, all that sort yep. of stuff over the next week or so. Everyone can hear the Bucks perspective on that on Locked on Bucks with you, Eric, uh, five days a week as we, uh, as we head into the playoffs. Thank you for coming on and, uh, and chatting on Locked on NBA with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
And there you have it, another great episode of Locked On NBA. If you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, if you could go ahead and leave a five-star rating and a review, that would be excellent. And make sure you are checking out not only the rest of the Locked On NBA network, which you can find on Twitter and Facebook at Locked On NBA Net, but the entire Locked On podcast network covering the NFL and now Major League Baseball. Go and check out LockedOnSports.com, your home for the entirety of the Locked On podcast network. My name is Josh Lloyd. I host Locked On Fantasy Basketball, and you can find Find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Go give me a follow and you can uh, discuss many NBA topics with me over there. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.